Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Frog Snacks Podcast. It is episode 194. It is I, Snacks, with me as always. It's my little co-host, Frog. Hello, hello. What's up? I'll tell you what's up, Frog. Uh, it, today is a, a, a beautiful and amazing sunshiny day in, in gaming land because we were given a short heads up about a short Nintendo Direct that was about Pokemon and... Mm-hmm. To, and the internet melted. The internet melted, and everybody's everybody kind of got everybody kind of huddled into a big football huddle and said, "Okay, uh, this might be it, you guys, but we need to brace ourselves for some like whack shit, right? <laughs> like this, <laughs> this brace for whack shit. Yeah, like you got to. Like they said, it's only going to be seven minutes. This might not be the like bombshell, you know, new." new Pokemon game that we've been waiting for since literally the switch was revealed. But lo and behold at 9 AM Eastern standard time, early as hell for a Nintendo direct, but fine. Sure. Um, they announced Pokemon sword and Pokemon shield, the first true Pokemon titles for the Nintendo switch and a whole new generation of Pokemon, eighth generation of Pokemon. And I am so happy that I got to watch it at my work desk with the with the volume up and and because everybody was in a meeting except for me and I was wow I was so happy it was uh, they it was a it was a two minute uh, and fourteen second reveal trailer uh, a short announcement about the game and that was it and and they sort of just left you know, the internet to its own devices. And they did tease that there were going to be other Nintendo like news items, uh, in between now and the, the release date of the game, which is not set in stone, but it did say late 2019. I have no reason to believe that that will be pushed back for any reason, but, uh, that's, that's what we were given. I am, uh, over the moon, the, 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 the new, uh, world, uh, was revealed uh, and the three new starters, the world being uh, a place called Galar, and the uh, and the three starters. You got your fire, your water, and your leaf type, and we'll talk about all that stuff. Um, I I was so happy. I was hype as hell after this announcement. I'm a big longtime Pokemon fan, um, and the reason why you were excited about it is is kind of going to be the the segue that we're going to make later into the the bulk of the conversation that we want to have today. But this is yep. sort of what prompted it. Um, this is, uh, this is, this is awesome. I mean, what, what were your <laughs> thoughts? What were your thoughts? So first thing, first thing I have to say is Pokemon sword and shield is like, really guys, we really are out of, <laughs> oh, really out of uh, dualities to put on these titles. They're totally out. Once they once they did uh, once they did black and white, I knew they were done. Yeah, it's a wrap. Um, uh, honestly, though, as successful as the two game model has been, especially in the era of the Switch and online play and all this, it may come soon time for them to retire that model. I think here's the thing: they they retired the the like third version uh a couple generations ago Mm -hmm. um because i think people were really struggling to find out why they should even buy a game 
uh, of the two, if there's going to be like, there's no functional difference in between the two anymore. And I don't know if they, uh, you know, so they don't have exclusive Pokemon per color or whatever the fuck. No, they're now it's more like here. Like what was the, the last one was like sun and moon, right? Right. Uh, the only functional difference I believe between sun and moon was that there were, it was basically timed exclusives. Like in sun and in sun and moon, like if you got Pokemon sun, it was always daytime in your game. And then in Pokemon moon, it was always nighttime in your game. And so you basically got them for this stylistic difference. And there were poke, there are Pokemon that you could only catch at night and there are Pokemon that you could only catch during the day. But the second that you finish the game, everything becomes attainable one way or another. And there are multiple different avenues for you to attain everything. Back in the day, you needed to, you know, link cable it. You had to link cable it, but like mad people, I knew just had two systems and I, I had done that myself at one point where I had two systems because I, I had upgraded to the newer, uh, like the, the newer version of the, of the DS, but I still had the old like chunky one. And for like Pokemon diamond and pearl, uh, before like Wi-Fi was reliable enough for me to like do this over the internet, I was just, I was just linking my two DSs together. I had a link cable for the DS and I just traded shit with myself and you don't need to do that anymore. Now it's, it's, it's cake. So there's probably going to be some stylistic difference between the two and there may even be exclusive Pokemon, but it's only going to matter, uh, for the first like very short amount of time in the game. But see, that's all the more reason to just be like, you know what? Okay. We're going to have our one version, the one true Pokemon version, uh, and that's just kind of going to be it. I mean, we'll see. If, 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 if any company can ride something into the ground, it's Nintendo. So we'll see how long they can keep on coming up with at least not completely ridiculous sounding dualities for this thing. But And, and the reality is I should note that if the day does come that they do retire having two versions, you know there's going to be a huge wave of internet butthurt. Yeah, I don't see... I I think that they should keep it because this isn't some, like... This isn't a situation where they're, like, by doing this, coercing you to buy the game twice. Um, So so it, it, it doesn't seem exploitative. It's just a very strange stylistic difference and it was it was a strange stylistic difference back in 1996 as well but you know and now just because you know like it's not any more ridiculous now than it was 22 years ago like that is definitely true and that's that's why i don't think that they're you know going going to get rid of it because it's not it's not exploitative it hasn't become it hasn't like it aged poorly and, uh, you know, there's, there's very little functional difference between the two. Uh, at this point, it's just like a, it's just like a fun stylistic choice that they're holding on to because they know that if they were to get rid of it, uh, people would 
maybe even go so far as to like not, you know, uh, acknowledge this as as like as like the the real ninth generation of Pokemon games. Yeah, that's that's what I said. That the internet butthurt would be unbelievable. Yeah, which but, is hilarious, but you know. Yeah. So speaking of inter- of internet butthurt, uh, we have to talk about um, like initial internet reactions to to all of this, of which there is sure. always great great many. Um, so let's talk about what what was actually revealed, like the the area and the starters, right? Which is like the the meat and potatoes of like how they introduce uh, a new generation of of Pokemon, right? So. Yep. This world is called Galar. The region is called Galar, and it seems to be uh, a, it seems to be a given that this is based on the United Kingdom. Um, but I, I didn't seem to I didn't seem to see anything in the tra- in the trailer or remember anybody saying in the in the in the Nintendo Direct that this was based on the UK. I think people just picked up on a couple of different, like, you know, aesthetic designs and choices and decided that it took place in the UK without it being like stated explicitly. Um, but people are taking it at, at face value that this is a hundred percent the UK. And I watched the trailer twice. And the only thing that's UK about it that I could decipher is that they, they like show a soccer stadium. And, and I have no clue. Like, that's really it. And I, I don't know. I'm going to go on, like, the like the actual, like, Pokemon website and see if they say anything about it. Because um, I, have, I have no clue. I was going to say that the architecture style of the houses definitely reminded me of that. Like, when I saw it, I definitely thought old school European. Like, that was definitely first thought in my head. Not specifically UK, but hearing you say that now... It makes sense. That would be something that I'd associate with, I don't know, like late 1800s, early 1900s, like countryside UK style houses. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I mean, maybe. I'm sure we'll find out before too long. I'm just trying to see if there's like, uh, you know, anything that, that specifically says. So like, okay, this is the, this is the actual Nintendo blurb on the uh, <laughs> explanation of the game. Uh, become a Pokemon trader, uh, embark on a new journey, a new Galar region, three new starting Pokemon, new and familiar Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Sword There are many sites to see, from countryside villages to snow-covered peaks to contemporary cities. As you trek across the diverse region, you'll encounter wild Pokemon and catch rival trainers eager to battle. So choose one of three new partner Pokemon, strategically form a Pokemon team, bond with them throughout the journey, and face the odds together. It doesn't say – I mean that description is so vague. Yes. I, I, I was going to say when you said you were going to look that it's probably too early. Frankly, I was uh, surprised that they even um, had the announcement, but then my friend told me it's Pokemon Day. Happy Pokemon Day. So I guess that's why they really wanted to, I guess, take the marketing opportunity to announce the game. But okay. I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely. I, I'm expecting they're not saying anything else about the game substantively until E3. That might be which true. Is we're prob- which we're probably going to get a blowout. Sure. Like here's all the info. 
they may or may not put the release date, but I'm expecting it's going to be like either late October, early November. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to remember now. It like so so Sun and Moon was like very obviously Hawaii, right? Oh yeah, but I'm for God's sake, it was called Alola. <laughs> right, it was called Alola. Um, it was like tropical. There were like volcanoes. Like it was very clearly Hawaii. And this was the first one that wasn't like explicitly, um, you know, designed off of a region of the Japanese archipelago. And this one. What about, uh, whatchamacallit? Weren't Sun and Moon Paris? I'm talking about Sun and Moon right now. Excuse me, not Sun and Moon, Black and White. Black and White, excuse me. Was Black and White Paris? I thought I got a sort of look. I thought I thought just because I mean they had the they had like the Eiffel Tower looking thing, but I don't I don't think black and white took place in here. Hold on, you know, let me check Bulbapedia here. The only true, my, you know, the only true Pokemon resource. The only true Pokemon. I was actually going to ask if there was ever one that like took place in a New York looking area. Mm, not really. I mean, um. Let me see here. Come uh, on, black and white. Uh, black and white versions took place in uh, man Unova, right? The Unova region. And according to Bulbapedia, the Unova region was um, okay. Junichi Masuda suggested that the geographical and social background for Unova draws inspiration from the New York City metropolitan area. Although it is geographically, and although it is geographically based on New York City, it draws inspirations for its landmarks from the entire state of New York. Wait, which for, for which game? Uh, Unova, which was black and white. What? Yeah, which I'm 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 failing to see. Other than the main city is in the extreme southern end of the area. Uh, and that seems to be the only thing here that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, makes it that like, screams New York. Yeah. That makes it like New York, I guess. I, I don't know. It's it, it, all of this is very loosely based off of things, but, right. but at least like with, with like Kanto and Johto and, and Hoenn, they, you could like superimpose them on actual regions of Japan and be like, they, they literally copied the map here. They like traced the map of this area of Japan. Right. Um, and then like for Galar, like, I don't know, man, it says, uh, nothing yet. Okay. All right. According to Bulbapedia, Galar may be based on the United Kingdom. Mm, maybe. Mm. Yeah, maybe. You might be thinking about Kalos? Kalos? Eh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, so Kalos, which was Pokemon X and Y, was based off mm-hmm. France. And that shit actually just looks like France. And that was the one that had the Eiffel Tower in the main city. So I just messed up my Pokemon games. That's why I was confused. Yes, which was Lumio City. And then um, – but again, this is, this is all conjecture really. Right. So we got that. Uh, there's going to be soccer. So uh, the UK, I guess, is the only country that plays soccer. Uh, so it's got to <laughs> be the UK. 
And then, uh, and then we got the three starters, of course. Of course. Of course, we got we got the we got the grass type, Grookey, uh, which Grookey. is uh, which is a, a grass monkey, um, with a little uh, with a little leaf on his head and a little stick that the that the leaf is holding up, which is very cute. Um, you got Scorbunny, who is. Uh, Who's who's like a a bunny a fire bunny with like a bandaid on its face like fucking Nelly, um, <laughs> and then you got so- the water Pokemon, which is uh, Sobble, who is like a sad tadpole that like cries. So uh, I actually really like this batch of of, of starters. Um, I haven't really like disliked a, a batch of starters since like like Gen three or four, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, these ones I liked. I, I think um, Grookey seems to be very very popular. Although Score Bunny is is my favorite of the three by by a lot. AKA Sonic. Yeah, yeah, Nelly Fire Bunny Sonic. Yeah. No. <laughs> Imagine if that was the actual design meeting. Mm. All right, so take Nelly, put him on this bunny, and okay, cool. He's gonna run like Sonic. Bam, starters. Let's go. We out here. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah, his evolution is uh, country grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Played uh, by Crush Forty. And so, uh, but Sobble Sobble's interesting because it's the the aesthetics of Sobble is that it's depressed. I guess like it's. Uh, it's very sad. It's got this like, um, it, it's got this very like concerned, furled brow, and it's crying, um, and it's got its hands in this position, like, like, please, like, I need answers. Um, <laughs> it's ve- it's very funny. Uh, my my only prediction is that Sobble gets happier as his evolutions go on. Like, like he's sad because he's a baby. Uh, like he's sad when he's a baby, but he goes through some like you know transformative event through the process of evolution, and his his final evolution is like he's he's just like beaming. That's my take. <laughs> that's my that's my prediction, uh, which will be wrong. People are uh, people all seem to be of the mind that he just gets sadder as he evolves further, uh, because his whole shtick is that he's a sad boy. But like, I don't know. I think it'd be funny if he if he got happier for for each evolution. I'm betting I'm gonna put my lot in with the the one saying he's gonna get sadder. Like his attack is just gonna be he floods the entire battleground with his tears. Yeah, that was and the it, that was the joke. Or like he he uses um, it's like oh Sable uses waterfall or whatever, and it's just him crying to produce the water. Yeah, he's like my sadness will know no end. <laughs> That might be true, but who would pick that Pokemon? I mean, unless they, I mean, I, yeah. Internet edgelords? Come on now. Yeah, I guess. What kind of question is that? Yeah. (laughs) Everybody who's, everybody who's, uh, who, who plays Pokemon and is depressed, which is everybody who plays Pokemon. So, (laughs) (laughs) um. Yeah, especially once they find out, oh shit, I got to start the breeding process. Yeah, they're like, okay, well, I beat the game, and I got all the ones that I that I uh, couldn't get because they're, it's only available in Shield version. Um, now the game really starts, and then you're like exhausted. But 
<laughs> okay, so I, I've talked about Pokemon before on uh, this podcast. I'm a huge fan, have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, on the other hand, have a much more limited <laughs> have a much more limited history with Pokemon, and part of that is due to the fact that this is a this has has been uh, an exclusively handheld. Uh, franchise, right? Correct. Which means that you're uh, limited with with uh, you know real estate to put your hands. Uh, there's an ergonomics issue, uh, something that you've complained about before with uh, with handheld titles such as Monster Hunter. So, yep. Monster Hunter being the sec, the other primary culprit, right? So now that you have an opportunity to play it with. Uh, a, a you know a, a current gen controller, uh, a real a real life honest to god uh, controller in the Switch Pro controller, which is a very good controller. Uh, One of the best. You are going to buy and play this game, I presume. One hundred percent. Excellent. I think I think. Well, before I get into, because I want to give people my handheld history too, but uh, before I do that. Let me uh, set the table with a little bit of speculation. Pardon all that ringing. Uh, so one of the things I wonder, and you can opine on this as well. Okay. Is I'm wondering if that now that this is going to be, you know, the fancy Switch version, right? Mm-hmm. This is the big coming out party for, well, yeah, it is. Because I'm going to say it was Let's Go, but that was the warm up. But this is the big coming out party for Pokemon on Nintendo Switch. The first brand new gen, exclusive to the system, all the bells and whistles, everything is supposed to be in here. Part of me is wondering if they're going to go ahead and integrate some of like the spin-off shit. So what do I mean? So for example, there's a clip in the trailer that clearly looked like a Pokemon Stadium. Are they going to just fold in that gameplay into this brand new, you know, core Pokemon title. What if also, given that they're talking about this being an expansive new region, part of me is wondering if they're going to Breath of the Wild this thing, and it's going to be like, in a, in a more limited sense, of course, it's not going to be the, the sprawl of, of Breath of the Wild, I don't think, but uh, a, clearly an open world game, right? So if they're going to do an open world game, what if they then decide to put in the Pokemon Snap gameplay? I think people would die. But I also think that what I'm proposing here is not implausible. Because everything that those games became, the, the Pokemon Stadium and whatnot, all those things now, which were big deals for like N64, are things that are basically subsystems in games now. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's that's that's precisely why it's not out of the question. They could do um they could do so much more with this game just by virtue of it being on Switch than they yeah. would have with with any 3DS, uh, you know, Pokemon game. Even though, even with the 3DS, you could still have done a lot of that stuff. The 3DS had a, had a built-in camera. You could have done AR-type shit. You could have done, you know, Pokemon Snap and, op- and not, not, not open-world gameplay on it. But you still, like, they were going in that direction anyway. Like, I talked about... How Pokemon Sun and Moon was 
you know, the closest thing really to a, a handheld MMO, you know, that, that we were going to get for Pokemon. And that's, and I, I really think that that's going to be the direction that the franchise is going in. And it, although this doesn't look like an open world game, like they didn't say like a vast open world or like show you standing on a mountain overlooking like all the things that you can explore like a la Breath of the With Wild. With the Master Sword. You know, there's still going to be some – There there has to be some, you know – uh, there has to be a linear aspect to it, right? There still has to be roots, you know, uh, you know, and there's still going to be some, um, you know, gating off of areas so that you, you know, do the, the gyms all in a specific pattern. I still think that that's going to be a core part of the, of the gameplay, but, um, this is, this is not like you walk, you literally walking on a path the whole time with, with the ability to like go back and forth on the path and nothing else. I think that there's going to be like, you know, it's going to look more like sections of the game world being opened up one at a time after you beat bosses and get, and get badges. That I think is a much more plausible direction for it to go in rather than, than full open world. Like I, you know, as much as I would love, like, you know, Pokemon Skyrim on PC or whatever, like, this is probably the next logical step in a very conservative, you know, uh, developer and publisher. Yeah, it's probably going to be something along those lines. But even so, like I said, if they if they fold in some of that other gameplay from from titles that people also love. Uh, I think they're going to be. There's going to be a full scale internet meltdown. Won't even be able to cover it. It's yeah, gonna, it'll be like people will be taken to the damn rapture. That's basically what's going to happen, <laughs> which is probably going to happen regardless because it's the first you know proper Switch Pokemon game. But so let, let's let's uh, now go into as I promised uh, my handheld history and. And correcting for people why I have uh, the grave injustice. I've done the grave injustice of not being a Pokemon fan, despite my on-the-record ravenous Nintendo fandom otherwise. And the reason for that is simple. Uh, I've mentioned on this program before that I am a late gamer, in a late bloomer. I didn't start playing games at all until I was like 11, 12-ish, right? And I didn't get my first handheld. So I had, like, what half counts is that I got my brother's hand-me-down Game Boy Advance. The OG one, not the SP. Mm -hmm. So that I got, I want to say, like, 2003? Maybe four? That sounds about right. Yeah, so he gave me that because basically, it wasn't even like he gave it to me. It was like he stopped caring about it entirely. And so it ended up becoming mine. Right. So I had that and I had like Mario Kart Super Circuit. Awesome game. But that was pretty much it. Uh, and I would, didn't make my own money until a little bit after that anyway. So my first handheld that I bought with my own money was the DS. And I think that was in 2005 I bought that. So 
I I missed out entirely on like the initial Game Boy Pokemon craze. Mm-hmm. And even so, I I don't even know why to be honest. But well, I did play Diamond and Pearl, but I, it didn't really take gameplay wise with me at the time. And I've tried again on a couple of occasions, but as time went on, and this is what you alluded to earlier. As time went on, the thing with me and Hail Hill Gaming is that I love, love many of the games that are on the DS, 3DS, Game Boy Advance, etc. Love them to death, and we're going to talk about some of them shortly. But I cannot, as a person with ginormous hands, playing handheld games for more than a few minutes at a time is a physically uncomfortable experience. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I'm a person where, like, I always had my room or my area for gaming aside from, you know, everything else. I like to play there, and then, you know, I'll retire for the evening or something, right? And when I'm in my gaming area, I would much prefer to be playing on a nice TV or monitor. Not sitting there, you know, cross-eyed looking at my fucking three-inch screen. Especially given that I'm not a person, a lot of people love the Switch because they can take it everywhere, which is great, but I don't use that functionality almost ever. I don't, I'm, I'm a commuter by car, and I don't often take uh, trips anywhere, so, and half the time when I do, they're very short. So, the utility of a handheld as a on-the-go device is almost non-existent for me. Sure. So between all of that, handheld games have, I don't want to say lost their luster, but put it this way. when The big selling point for the Switch for me was that it was the handheld, quote-unquote, that I can plug into my TV and get the full experience. Yeah, it was. That was when I was like, hallelujah. It was big. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I could get my, and, and that's, Pokemon was literally the first title I thought of. Monster was actually the second. That I said, oh man, finally I'm going to get a real ass poke and that was the other thing I was so pissed that you know they were like oh Pokemon is a handheld franchise only well now because the Switch is both a handheld and a console finally I'm going to have the real deal Pokemon game not some corny spinoff the real deal Pokemon game on my TV where it fucking belongs and we're all gonna profit and it's gonna be amazing (laughs) a net profit for all a net yeah. for all. So, okay, well, uh, all of these things make sense. And and we need to talk about uh, – I'm glad that you had brought up your, you know, uh, your, your history with commuting because I think that this is – uh, something that, you know, might be one of those things that people, people kind of like know inherently but maybe has never been explained out loud uh, to them and, and that kind of helps like put everything into, into perspective. But – um, there's a reason why, you know, Nintendo, uh, has had a near monopoly on handheld gaming devices. And, and for a short time, the only other, you know, manufacturer and publisher that was, that was doing stuff like this was Sony. Um, the reason is, is because, you know, culturally commuting by car in Japan is not nearly as common as it is in America. So, you know, there's a lot of commute by train and there's a lot of long commute by train. 
there's also the, you know, um, you know, this, the sort of like stylistic difference in, in the size of homes where, you know, a traditional home console might not be as, you know, as, as, uh, Space efficient. Space efficient is practical as it is here. So that's part of it too. So so yeah, if you, uh, I I I feel like for a very long time, most of the handheld gaming I did was when I was living in the city because I was on the subway every day. And I think and I think that that's a big part of it. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But for me, I have been also a handheld gamer for my entire life. just as I have been a regular gamer for my entire life, I got my first, uh, I, I, I had played the original Game Boy a million times. I didn't get my first Game Boy that I, that I owned myself until, uh, Christmas of 1997 when I got the, the teal Game Boy color, Woo! um, with, uh, with Pokemon yellow. And at this point I had already beat Pokemon blue on like a friend's Game Boy, but I was like, yes, now I can play it for real because I own it and I can beat it and I own it. Um, so I had that. Um, I uh, dabbled with Game Boy Advance, which is a shame because um, a lot of my favorite titles for handheld were for Game Boy Advance, but I didn't really start playing them a lot until uh, high school and college, like a little bit later. Um, right. I got I got a I got a DS in high school. Um, played a lot of DS, played a lot of Pokemon on DS and then got to college and kind of like went, worked backwards a little bit. Uh, the DS had a pretty long lifespan that, that sort of went up until, uh, yeah, all the way up through the year that we graduated college. So it was just the DS for high school and college for me. And I spent a lot of time like kind of going back and forth between playing the new hotness on DS and going back and playing GBA games that I had missed in the previous generation. And then 2011 was when the 3DS came out, which is the year that we graduated college, and I got a 3DS, and uh, that was kind of like my, my main squeeze for, for a very long time, a very, very long time, actually, all the way up until the Switch came out. So, uh, and I did at, at certain points, you know, uh, own and spend a lot of time playing a Vita. Um, that was uh, a, yes. it, it was a brief window of time, but there were some good games on there. So, uh, that's sort of my history with, with handheld devices. Um, you know, I, I think, um, I think we're going to, uh, transition at some point, uh, into talking about some of our favorite handheld games. And I am finding that, uh, my, uh, my honorable mentions list is getting to the point where it's just as long as my faves list uh, because there, there really, there really were so many excellent games. And now that I'm like looking at lists of, of these games, I'm wondering where the hell half of them went. Um, you know, there were, there was a really significant period of time where games existed exclusively, entire franchises existed. I mean, we want to talk about Pokemon. Yeah, sure. But there were entire franchises that existed exclusively on handheld. And when the prominence of handheld went away, so did that franchise. And I think that that's I think that's amazing um, that that certain franchises never made the jump to to console. But I mean, not, not to not to you know belittle their impact on me and in, in the gaming world. But 
I mean, I mean, come on. Well, see, we should give this little bit of tribute to handheld gaming as a form, right? Because as you said, unfortunately, handheld gaming as you and I have known it, an entire generation of kids knew it, is dead now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Vita's dead, 3DS, against all odds, was basically surviving until pretty much this year, but I think finally Nintendo is ready to uh, put it out, to quietly put it out to pasture. Uh, and the Switch is kind of the way they split the difference. Very, very smartly. Very, very smartly. Uh, but the age of the dedicated handheld as a fixture in gaming culture is gone. Mobile has taken away... Mobile on the casual end ripped away a market, which is more important, but also important is the fact that console took away yet more business um, as far as like sophistication, right? Not to mention people, a lot of people have laptops that can play decent games if they're going on trips and stuff and such. So the age of the dedicated handheld is over and oh, it was a glorious one. But as you said, a lot of franchises made the jump, but some did not. And I think one of the reasons is development costs. I mean, even making handheld games at this point is uh, kind of expensive, but for a lot of these smaller, really niche Japanese studios, to the extent that they may come up again, I would bet it being like indie stuff either on Nintendo eShop or PC. You know, because it's developing for main consoles now is like a huge money suck endeavor and a really risky one. But um, yeah, the age of handhelds was something very unique. Um, at, le- at least it kind of lives on in the Switch. So, you know, modern kids will kind of get a taste of it. But it just goes to show you how much times have changed, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess so. But we're, um, I think, like I said, I think this is something that we all kind of like know inherently. And, and it's, uh, you know, nobody's nobody's had like a, like a formal, you know, funeral procession for handheld games. <laughs> You know, but I, I think it's worth talking about what this era looked like, you know, and, and what, um, you know, I, I think it's important that, you know, we don't relegate the concept of like the link cable to, you know, an inside joke. I, I think it needs to be something that's talked about so that we don't. Like, forget that it existed. I, I, I think it's important to under, I think it's always important to contextualize how, you know, uh, how much growth there has been in the industry and how much tech, how, how, like, large the technological leaps have been in such a short period of time. Like, I was trading Pokemon on the bus using a link cable in my lifetime and I'm not even 30 years old. So we're, you know, I think it's, I think it's something that it can, it's, it's too easy for in, in a technology that moves as fast as it does to forget stuff like, you know, the, the, the whole concept of even like the smartphone, right? Like you can look at, um, you know, pictures of like the interface of, of like the iPhone three and, 
and like it, it like barely rings a bell. It like barely even you barely even recognize it. But it's important. Yo, I saw that the other day. Yeah, just like actually browsing, I was like, "Holy shit!" I feel like I'm looking at 1970 right now. Exactly, but that was less than 10 years ago. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So you know, it, it's uh, it, it's important. I, I, I and so it's very easy for you know the concept of handhelds to just kind of like slip into this like. Um, you know, the, just just like a, just like the shared evolutionary history, without us talking about like what what the what the era of the handheld actually looked like, and so uh, you know, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're doing this now. The um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk about our favorite games, and I think and I think when we do that, we'll be able to sort of contact because I've got I've got uh, games that I want to talk about that are um, sort of across the entire. Um, you know, spectrum of, of, uh, of handhelds for the most part. Nice. Um, well, the last thing I'll just say, just to piggyback off your comment, the link cable, it's the link cable was just so that people who may not be familiar can understand. And I, I, again, I was not part of the link cable era as a participant. I was an observer, but the link cable era was like a tectonic shift for handheld gaming. Because that was the first time that multiplayer of any kind was um, possible via handhelds. People's minds were fucking destroyed. <clears throat> Am I lying? People's no. minds were destroyed when the link cable came out. Wait, I can hook up my... To, what? <clears throat> People lost their minds. But it was a flash in the pan. If we think about it, the link cable was really only a thing for like what six or seven years, if that. Yeah. Because as soon as DS came, everything went. There was a well. First of all, there was the wireless uh, adapter for Game Boy Advance, and that was another mind blower. And then it was built into the DS, and then after that, the rest was history. So the link cable, as huge as it was, was a pretty minor moment, which just goes to show you again, you know how how fast technology changes and and how easy it is to your point for things to just get lost in the shuffle. And again, also, as you said, we're not, well, I am 30, but we're barely 30 years old and all these giant shifts have happened. It's crazy. But yeah, enough, uh, navel gazing. Let's, uh, talk about some favorite games here. Uh, I guess I'll start it off. Uh, The way I did it is these are not really, these are not in order of most to least favorite. These are in order, uh, and I'm going to say it in descending anyway. These are in order from most recent to least recent. Okay. Uh, which is roughly in order of how fondly I look upon them, not how much I actually like them as video games, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so my number five is Fire Emblem Awakening. Okay. Damn, that, that was good. That was one. That was one of my uh, um, honorable mentions. Yeah, that game is pretty important to me because that, in addition to being my first Fire Emblem game, I think that was the moment where I was like, "Holy shit!" Like we have real, real games on handhelds now. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like that was a pretty much uncompromised RPG on a handheld. And it was awesome. Long as hell, too. 
Oh, I yeah, remember yeah. there were two times during that game I was like, all right, cool, so I'm at the last mission. No. <laughs> yeah, the last part is part. I still haven't finished that game. But that's you knew all that already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's awesome, man. I I, I played uh Fire Emblem Awakening is to date my favorite Fire Emblem game. Um I think a lot of people would say that. Which is crazy because it's only it's only the, the second most recent one uh to come out. So it was it was a huge it was a huge huge deal. Okay, so mine are in no particular order. These are in just the order that uh, that they popped into my head. Um, so uh, that's take you know d- d- decipher that uh, however you will. Uh, all you <laughs> sure. all you armchair psychologists out there with your word associations. Um, okay, so my first one is uh, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. Uh, which is the best Kirby game one and, uh, one of two very good Kirby games, uh, that came out for the Game Boy Advance. Um, the other one being, uh, Kirby and, uh, Kirby and Dreamland or some shit. Um, this is the best one because it's a, it's a Castlevania, right? It's, it's Kirby Castlevania. Um, it's got beautiful, bright, colorful worlds, interesting bosses. It's a, it's an incredibly complex, uh, world to the point where I've never 100% of the game. I, I simply don't know how, um, I think the world record speed run for it is still like in the 50 to 60 minute range. Um, the game is, the wow. game is quite literally huge, huge in general, but especially huge for a GBA game and especially huge for a Kirby game. I mean, you want to talk about open world, like this is the closest you're going to get to a, a Kirby open world game. It's, uh, the, the platforming is excellent. It's super difficult, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the world is so big that even if you mess up and end up going in the wrong direction, you can go in that direction for what seems like forever and ever and ever before you end up back at the warp area. Um, wow. It's, uh, it's so cool. Um, it's the best Kirby game, uh, period. <laughs> Woo! I, I did not know that this is a thing. I've heard the title before, but I've never heard anybody like talk about it. And, uh, our good friend, Big Zeke is a big friend of, um, the other game, which I believe was like Kirby and Nightmare Land or something like that. But I got, I, I, um, I said, I said Kirby and Dreamland, but I think that was the the first Kirby's Dreamland, like one of the very first games. Yeah, I gotta, I hold on, I gotta, but yeah. The, but while you look at that, yeah, um, I, I I did not know that Black Mirror was Black Mirror, Kirby, Kirby oh. and the Amazing Mirror. <laughs> in the black mirror <laughs> Kirby, Kirby. I've never even watched that show why did I even have that slip I don't know I do not know Kirby in the black mirror though <laughs> that would be a, I just got the image of like realistic Kirby looking outside of, of some dark ass room <laughs> anyway okay. and it was uh, Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland I think I think there you go Nightmare in Dreamland yeah which is which has a higher Metacritic ranking than Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, which is a war crime. Which is a war crime? Well, I don't know, bro. You'll have to take that up with uh, all the various folks at these websites. I'm not talking to them. Yeah. Fair enough. No, uh, Um, it's not Kirby and Nightmare. It was... You know what? I think Kirby and the Amazing Mirror was the only GBA Kirby game. 
because I was thinking of Nightmare in Dreamland, which, oh, no, you know what? I think they ported. Okay, they remade the first Kirby game, uh, Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland, to the Game Boy Advance. It was a port. Oh, is that what Nightmare in Dreamland is? It was a, it was a remake. Yeah, it was a remake ah. of the original. Okay. Aha. That makes sense. Because that was also the era where Nintendo was pumping out the Super Mario Advance series, which were just, as you said, remakes of um, yes. the various Mario games, which were also very good. Um, okay, well... And even those were like, I remember seeing old issues in Nintendo Power and seeing that those were happening. I was like, whoa, <laughs> NES games in my hand? Whoa. And yeah, now, baby. now that shit could run on your Apple Watch, for God's sake. But <laughs> <laughs> with things in the background, but that's that's a different story. Okay, so we're gonna get a little we're gonna get a little weirder now. So yes, I don't even know if you've even heard of this one. But this is one of my favorite games for sure on a handheld. Frankly, it should be a little higher in this list, but whatever, it's fine. We're going chronological. Uh, Dragon Quest Heroes Rocket Slime. Um, I'm familiar with Dragon Quest Heroes, I think. Dragon Quest Heroes Rocket Slime is still, when I think about this game, this is still one of the most batshit games I've played in my entire life. So you play as a slime. One of the, the Dragon Quest slimes. Right, yeah. And he is the... Slime is the main hero of this game. And Slime is on a quest to save the world, essentially, right? But the way he's got to do it is to basically build these junk mechs and defeat all these evil cats in, in giant mech... junk mech warfare. And I'm not making this up. No, I'm looking at screenshots of it, and it sounds like what what you're describing is correct. You go, or, and like, battles, part of the battles proceed, like, you have to be inside the mech and, you know, go into different parts to make sure you're appropriately throwing enough shit at the enemy. It's hilarious. It's really fun. Uh, great use of the DS screen, and I want to know who dropped acid to come up with this concept. But that was... That was one of the first DS games I got, uh, probably because I don't remember exactly, but probably because I did research and said, this sounds batshit crazy. I want in. And I was not disappointed. Nice. Okay. Uh, my next one is uh, not super interesting. I don't have too much to say about it. It's, uh, it's Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Um, it is uh, – some, some would say the, the best Monster Hunter. Not me, but it, it is fantastic. And it was mine as well as a lot of other people in the West's uh, introduction to the series and uh, where, you know, we fell in love with it. And it was exclusively on handheld. It was, uh, it was a, a 3DS only title. Um, it's, it's very, very good and I'm very fond of it for, you know, very sentimental reasons. But I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think that my experiences with that game are exclusive to just me. Yeah, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate is an extremely impressive piece of work because I'm sure Capcom has done this to all the handheld Monster game, Hunter games, but like remember what I said about Fire Emblem, how it felt like an uncompromised RPG? Yes, 
Absolutely. Same thing. That applies even more so. Even more so to Mod Center. Mm-hmm. I, for one thing, how the fuck did that game run at 60 frames on a handheld? Like, what? what? It, it looked and for and it, it looked and felt amazing. Um, it was I, I, I put um, untold amounts of hours into it, and it was sort of like my great awakening, uh, as with many other people in the West. Like, you know, I'm still I'm still playing Monster Hunter. You know that that game is unbelievably dense, unbelievably dense, mm-hmm. and. That's part of the reason why I came to the realization like I can't play this on a fucking handheld. Yeah. This game is this is a multi-hour epic extravaganza. Like I have to be able to sit and really dig my teeth into this thing. Right. Yeah, Moss Hunter, that's a we definitely could not have finished this conversation without having that talk because that for ultimate really was an eye-opener in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Not the least of which being, obviously, uh, an eye-opener to how awesome Monster Hunter is. Uh, okay, so my number three, going further back in time now, Phoenix Wrights, Trials and Tribulations. Yes. Uh, this was, I think, the third DS release, but this this one I just loved because it had, to date, all, uh, all of my favorite cases and also had the amazing Godot, who is a prosecutor that kind of looks like, um, what's his face, like LeVar Burton. Because he has the ridiculous visor on. <laughs> and he also yeah. loves coffee and has a habit of throwing his coffee cup at Phoenix Wright whenever he's trying to make a point. <laughs> so, yeah, that game was start to finish. Uh, just a great, great experience. One that I was actually able to mostly comprehend on my own, so that that also helped <laughs> carve it a fond place in my memory. Uh, but yeah, definitely one I'd recommend to anybody. Trials and Tribulations. Nice. Um, yeah, people talk about a, a lot about the, the Phoenix Wright games, and I, I've actually never played any of them. I think you'd enjoy them a lot. Yeah, that's what people say. I, I don't. I don't doubt that. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, this is this is all kind of goes uh, hand in hand, and I feel I feel bad because we spent all episode talking about this essentially. But uh, Pokemon Pearl, I'm going to go with Pokemon Pearl only because I think that the fourth this is not uh, this is not like a, a, a spicy like like go tell it on the mountain take, but I think <laughs> I think that I think that uh, the fourth generation uh, is the best one so far. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Feel. Please feel free to disagree, but it's my personal favorite. Um, I think it had the best starters. I think it uh, introduced the most interesting uh, mechanics to the game without, you know, going too overboard. It was sort of, um, you know, I think it was the first generation that was released on the DS, so it was visually impressive for the time. Um, it was, and it was also my personal favorite. You know, we spent. Uh, I, this is this was sort of the generation that I really learned about Pokemon on. Um, you know, uh, this is, this was the one where I learned how to breed. This was the one that I, where I learned about IVs and and EV training and all that stuff. So, um, gen four specifically Pokemon Pearl, I think to date has the, the highest hour count of, of any, um, of any Pokemon game for me. And so I think that's my, fair. And so it's my favorite. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's fair because, again, you can't talk about handhelds without talking about Pokemon, right? Right. So it is only right that we have that in, in the list of favorites. Uh, okay, so going to number two then. Number two for me is Mario Kart DS. I knew you were going to do that one. <laughs> but it's very good. I'm very, no, it's, no, I'm glad you, I'm I'm glad you picked it because it's very good. Yeah, well, you have to because this one was another – so Mario Kart Super Circuit was – that was the proof of concept Mario Kart could work on a handheld. It worked very well, right? Mm-hmm. But this one was proof of concept that it was going to be a big deal. If I recall correctly, actually, was this not the very first online one? I think it was because Mario Kart Wii came after this game, I, I believe. Yeah, I, it, it definitely did. So, yeah, this is the first online Mario Kart game on a handheld. So, and it worked pretty damn well, especially given, you know, Nintendo's notorious history with online services, the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. And it actually worked Though I have to say that Mario Kart in general, given Nintendo's uh, trials and tribulations with uh, with online play, I found that the Mario Kart games have all been pretty solid online. But yeah, Mario Kart DS was awesome. They brought in actual single-player content, which for some ungodly reason they stripped out of every subsequent release, but whatever. Uh, this is also the first game where they brought in the idea of doing... Um, the 16 brand new courses and then they brought back 16 old ones which I was like yes finally I'm not getting you know a half finished as far as I was concerned you know undercooked Mario Kart experience right so this was a sea change for the franchise as far as I was concerned uh, but it was also a great handheld game in its own right snaking aside yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, uh, yeah, we don't have to talk about snaking, but yeah, I, I played, <laughs> I played a lot of this in like in high school after, like after class, um, just like in the auditorium with like the couple kids that I knew that had it and like just being like, cool, we can get down right now. This is sick. Um, yeah. And we played it, we played it via local connection. It was cool. And now we're spoiled, and we can play freaking Mario Kart 8 anywhere via the Switch. That's right. That's what right. What a time to be alive. I specifically remember being in, like, the last row of the auditorium uh, in high school during some, you know, event that I didn't care about, like, playing this game. <laughs> and how it didn't get confiscated, I, I have no clue how my DS survived all the way through high school, because it should have gotten confiscated. Wow. But maybe they liked you. Nah. <laughs> I think I got I think I got enough experience uh to to come to the conclusion that they that they weren't super fond of me. But um but I never got my DS taken away. So anyway. Mm. Um my next one is is probably the most interesting one uh on on the list here. Uh it's an interesting game in general, and I think that if it never got ported to PS4, it it really would have been like a super niche title. And I'm talking, of course, about Tearaway. Um ah, Tearaway yes. came out in 2014 for the Vita. Uh it was a Vita exclusive, actually, and it was actually designed by Media Molecule, the people that did Little Big Planet, to specifically uh be able to um 
you know, utilize all of the different and cool and interesting things, quite frankly, that the Vita was capable of, uh, most notably all of the touch controls on both the screen and the back of the system itself. Um, it was a very, it was a very charming game uh, with a lot of the, you know, the customization trappings of uh, Media Molecule. Uh, the the narrator was like a, a, a was was like some some like very like um, y- you know friendly sounding lady with a Jamaican accent, which was which was fun. Uh, <laughs> they allowed you to take a picture of your face, and your face was the sun's face throughout the entirety of the game, which is very which amusing. Was so batshit crazy. It was a little creepy, but it was <laughs> but it was still funny, and. Um, it was just it was just oozing with charm. I was a big fan of the game, and uh, I, that was that came out. I think the first year that we went to PAX, and I and I got to go talk to the people at the Media Molecule booth in the Indie Mega booth, uh, and that was really fun. Um, Tearaway was an interesting game, and they were actually showcasing the uh, the the PS4 port there, but I I played it on on Vita. Uh, first, I never played the PS4 port, but it, from what I understand, it was like basically just uh, basically the same game, but with a little bit of like like DLC type stuff. Um, but it was uh, it was really really cool, and I still have a I still have a picture because um, I couldn't take screenshots and like point them like port them anywhere with like my Vita. So like I, I had um, I still have a picture of my my character that I made, which is just like this like uh, this like guy with an envelope for a head. Which is what everybody's <laughs> character was, but it was it was really cool. The whole point is that you're you're delivering a a letter, but the, the letter is your head. I don't know. Like the game was cool. Just take my word for it. And it, it utilized all this interesting stuff, like the camera and the touch controls on the back and the front, and it, it was fun. Yeah, I definitely played a little bit of Tearaway and enough to know about the sun thing. And you're right, the game is. It was Sony's Wii U moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, it, 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 just like many of those Wii U titles, Tearaway definitely showed off what the Vita was capable of, but unfortunately proved to kind of be a little bit too little, too late type thing. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. Good game. Uh, my last one is a game that is very near and dear to my heart. Hard as fuck, but great game. And this game is... Gunstar Superheroes. Gunstar Superheroes. You've stumped is me twice. <laughs> I, from time to time, I'm good for that. <laughs> so, Gunstar Superheroes is the sequel to Gunstar Heroes, which is a classic for Sega Genesis. Right. Created by the legendary among certain circles of Japanese game enthusiasts, Studio Treasure. Mm hmm. Uh, both of these games are extremely awesome. And I remember when they were gearing up, you know, saying, hey, we're going to do Gunstar Superheroes. It's going to be for GBA. And this was toward the tail end of the GBA's life, and I was getting ready to buy the DS. So I said, perfect. I know I can get a couple of games with my DS purchase. So I'm going to get, because I knew about the backward compatibility, I'm going to get Gunstar Superheroes. And that was actually the very first game I played on my handheld that I purchased with my own money. So for that reason, it will always hold a special place to my heart. 
that and it's a fucking fantastic game. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And for those of you who don't know, uh, uh, Treasure did the original Ikaruga, which actually just got re-released um, or re- remastered for the Switch. Uh, but yeah, that's really really cool, man. I I'd never I actually never heard of that, um, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, bro. And my uh, my last one is one that you know all about, and you know how much time I spent playing this game. Um, but Dragon Quest Nine is ah, yeah. uh, an excellent game. Um, it had a ton of post game content. I put in a lot of time playing it. Um, I can't. I'm not going to go out here and say that it's the best Dragon Quest because it's actually the only Dragon Quest I've ever played. But mm. it is uh, very, very good. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and this was, you know, during a time where I was, you know, living and working and going to school all in Manhattan, essentially. So I was, I was on the train every day, and I was playing it every day, and I was taking, uh, I was actually taking that uh, that winter class with. Um, with our good friend Dingus and, and he was playing it along with us. And we did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of dungeon crawling, uh, together on that. Um, so yeah, uh, Dragon Quest nine was awesome. And then I do have a uh, really quick, uh, some, um, some honorable mentions. Um, I do too. So when you're done, I'll get mine. Okay. Uh, rhythm heaven. Oh yes. Rhythm heaven, which is the shit. Uh, we've talked about rhythm heaven before here. Um, advanced wars, uh, one which is and, actually one of mine. One and two. Um, Shovel Knight, obviously, which kind of became a a, a big like you know uh, phenomenon in its own right, and I think you know got ported to a bunch of stuff, but was originally a handheld game. Well, I mean, it was released simultaneously on all those. Platforms. Was it? I thought it got ported later. No. Hold up. Don't forget, this is a Kickstarter title. Huh. I always thought that it was a 3DS title, got popular, and then got ported to a bunch of other stuff. Nah, bro. I bought that on Wii U while you were playing on 3DS. Well, never mind. And But, I mean, it does technically count because it was – Yeah, know, it was – okay. It was re- – yeah, it was, it was released on Windows 3DS and Wii U initially and then got ported um, – so like PlayStation, a year, a year later, it got ported to PS3, PS4, the Vita, and the Xbox One, and then the Switch when the Switch came out. Yep. But okay. So anyway, whatever. Fuck Shovel Knight. Uh, and then um, so yeah, Rhythm, Rhythm Heaven, Advance Wars One and Two, and um, Golden Sun. Oh, Golden uh, Sun. Golden, Damn. Golden Sun is actually really, really good. And it was uh, the one that I was referring to specifically when I said that, you know, it kind of died once the, once, you know, the handheld moment died. Um, it was only ever released yeah. on Nintendo handhelds. It was, uh, it was, a, I think the first two were GBA titles. And then the third one was on, was on DS. And I played the first one and the DS one. I didn't play the second one, but they were awesome. They had a lot of really interesting mechanics. There, there were definitely some parts of it that were like frustrating, but like stuff that if they were to make it today would not be a, an issue. Um, and I, that's I, one I could yeah. see Nintendo bringing back at random sometime. Well, actually the first one, the, the first, the first golden sun was released on the Wii U virtual console. Well, I'm talking about like a new game. Well, yeah, they should do that too. But I'm, I'm saying like they haven't forgotten about golden sun, which is my point. I wonder if uh, 
because they did say make a comment saying, "Oh, we have something cooking cooked up that you know the fans are really gonna love." I wonder if that might be it. I mean, because they made it they made it sound like we got something kind of out of left field. You know, coming your way. I, mean, I wonder I, if it's something Golden Sun related. I, I mean, I would scream bloody murder at the top of my lungs, but I'm not holding my breath either. But Golden Sun was fantastic. Uh, I, I always really, uh, I always really had like a soft spot for it. I, I thought that um, the whole like, um, it was one of the only games where it had this mechanic where you would collect stuff. And they would be like little animals that you would have in your system that like, you know, that, that Pokemon obviously like, you know, uh, became known for and perfected that didn't feel like a shitty, you know, rip off of that system because the whole thing was that like they were these, um, they were these spirits and they had like their own thing. I don't know, man. It was, it was, it was good. It was a good, uh, JRPG and I loved the whole like gin system uh, with the with the spirits that did different things. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't be sad if they brought it back in some in some regard. Even if even if they just made like the trilogy available on the Switch, um, I would I would definitely buy the 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 DS version of it for for that. Word, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so my honorable mentions then, you already said one of them, which is Advance Wars, though I will specifically call out Dual Strike and Days of Ruin, the DS games, which are both incredible mm-hmm. for different reasons. Dual Strike, somehow, what I loved about Advance Wars when I'd first seen it, even before playing Dual Strike, is the fact that they took a game about war and turned it into this really cheerful upbeat fun strategy game it's so bizarre but great do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like you're literally moving tanks around and blowing people up and bombing people sometimes straight up with nukes but the whole thing has this cheery upbeat music and these plucky uh ceos commanding officers and the whole thing is just so much fun to play that all of that ceases to even be a going concern until days of ruin that is because days of ruin is when they said all right well let's get serious and let's have like an actual post-apocalyptic plot which is really dark and i think a more fitting of what actually is being done when you're playing these games uh both of these games are excellent but they're two sides of one gameplay coin. But I would recommend them both to anybody. There's a reason. Put it this way: there's a reason that the developers behind Wargroove uh, saw the need to bring this style of game back. And shout out to the Wargroove guys because they did a fantastic job. That game is awesome. Yeah. So other two I had were I have to give a shout out to this game as representative of its series, which is Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. Mm. which is currently my favorite of all the ones I've played. Um, And just such a great, it's pretty much everything I love about the Paper Mario series in a handheld game. Uh, Just super fun, even more mechanics packed than Paper Mario for that matter, because there's a lot of different crazy gimmicks and things going on in the Mario Luigi games in general, given that you're playing as both brothers, right? Uh, the game's also 
quite challenging at times, and there's a lot of just great humor throughout. It's it's like playing a nice Mario-themed Saturday morning cartoon. So I hope I'm hoping, by the way, since again talking about things that might come to Switch, I'm hoping Alpha Dream is cooking up their first Mario and Luigi Switch title. Because I'm like, um, where is it, guys? <laughs> I mean, they did the remake of Bowser's Inside Story for 3DS, which I'm like, thanks, I guess, but I really didn't think it was necessary. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, the last one I have, uh, I wonder if this will stump you. <laughs> The last one I have is Tekken Advance. Um. Wow. I. I don't. I. I don't. I. I'm. I'm kind of upset that I didn't know that there was a, a Game Boy Advance Tekken game. I'm assuming that that's what that is. Yes, it's exactly what it is. Oh wow! And dude. And, and, and you know what? Here, I'll, I'll mess you up even more. Big Zeke owned it. Damn. This that's is- why I knew. That's why I know it exists. This game case looks photoshopped. Like, it doesn't even look... It looks like a fan game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, bro, but they had Tekken Advance, and I remember, like, being at Big Zeke's house, you know, back in mid-2000s, and just thumbing through their the, the family, like, game case, and being like, what? How the fuck did they put Tekken on a handheld? The Game Boy Advance of all things. Oh my god. And I have to say, it, you know, as much as they could realistically, they didn't do too bad with it. I mean, it looks like it, it looks like it had some decent critical reception, but the first the first sentence on the Wikipedia page, it says that uh it says it is non-canonical to the Tekken storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, because they're like, you know, we need to just get our brand onto this hot handheld. That's what it was about. And I'm sure, again, being back then when they could just, they probably could fart this game out in short time and, and without not spending a lot of money. So it's like, why not? But I, I had to give this a shout out mainly because it, this is, I think, emblematic of a good number of games, actually throughout the handheld years that I was like, how did they do this? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. How did they shoehorn this onto this handheld? That's one of the things that I think, um, you know, modern kids are not going to have the experience of, which is neither here nor there, but it's just funny. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. Because now every device can comfortably run. 3D games, right? Any mm-hmm. any device on the screen can comfortably run a 3D game. But back then, you know, the GBA was a souped-up Super NES. So the idea that Tekken was going to be on... What? <laughs> like, even saying it is, is doesn't even make sense. Yeah, there were... Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing what they were able to accomplish back then. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. But preservation really is, like... Uh, more important than I think that the people who are able to make those decisions legally are, are even aware of. So they probably know, but the reality is that they, even if they care, they can't do much because you're running a, a, a company and your job is to make money, and you're yeah. not going to make money putting out tech in advance for people. Yeah, well, that's well, then it's up to people like us, then I guess. But um, I guess so. make sure Big Z doesn't lose that card of of uh, of tech in advance, but. Anyway, we uh, 
We ran a little long uh, this week, but uh, that's fine. There was a new Pokemon game that came out, so... Eh, or that was announced. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, thanks for uh, you know letting us indulge in, in, in uh, a fun handheld discussion. Um, if you guys want to add to the conversation, uh, su- subtract to the conversation, uh, we are on the internet and available uh, to talk to you, answer your questions, whatever. Uh, we're on Twitter at Frogsnacks, on Instagram at Frogsnacks Podcast. We've got our website, frogsnacks.net, and we are on Apple Podcasts, where you can rate, review, subscribe to the show. Um, yeah, man, Pokemon forever. Uh, we'll talk to all you people next week. <laughs> Peace.